Okay, Robert Nauer here once again for episode six about the John F. Kennedy life in the supply corps aboard a Navy ship of the fleet. And as I said in my last podcast, episode five, Captain Tuttle was a very, very strange dude. He was an asshole. He was worse than Captain Bly. And I'm not the only one that ever felt that way. A lot of Airedales did, a lot of Black Shoes, and a lot of uh, Supply Corps officers, and a lot of other people. Who knows? Maybe even some family members, like his wife, when I told you the story about the dining in at the, dining in at the Naval Amphib base and what he said to her. So anyway, the next episode, this one, deals with... Um, First situation I'm going to start off with is walking down the passageway to go to breakfast. Now, normally in the U.S. Navy, you only salute the commanding officer once, the first time you meet him for the day. Evidently, that's not good enough because it wasn't good enough for Tuttle, but it also wasn't good enough for another captain by the name of Munsinger. But in my case with Captain Tuttle... And I was still the junior officer. I think I was a Lieutenant JG at the time. I had been crossing the hangar bay early in the morning, and I just happened to spy the captain coming on board the ship after he had been bonged on. Ding, ding, captain arriving. And I saw him, and I saluted him, and he saluted me back with a nice, crisp, curt salute. And he went on his merry way. And I know damn well he saw me. So about an hour later, I'm going to breakfast after quarters in the wardroom, and I'm walking down the um, uh, O1 passageway. I think it was the, or no, the first deck, first deck passageway to the wardroom. And I see Captain Tuttle and his Marine Sergeant Guard coming towards me. And as he approaches me, he's about six to eight paces away. I said, good morning, Captain. Um, and I walked past him, and in no more than four or five steps once I went past him, I hear this, Nower! Stand fast! And I went, holy shit, what did I do now? So I turned around, and I said, um, what seems to be the problem, Captain? And he runs right up to my chest. Now, you gotta remember, this guy is four feet, eight inches tall, and he comes running right up to my chest, pokes his nose into my sternum. You all know where the sternum is. It's about eight inches or six inches below your chin. And for me to have to see him and look into his face, I had to bend my head down almost at a 90 degree angle. Must have been humiliating for him, but it was rather funny for me. I was so amused by this whole situation that um, I almost burst out laughing. But anyway, he's really pissed off. And he says, Nower, when you see me, you will salute me each and every time. And I said, but Captain, Navy regulation. I don't give a shit about Navy regulations. You will salute me each and every time. I said, yes, sir. But I'm almost about to burst out laughing because he's chewing my ass out about 
something that isn't even in the Navy regs, but he just demands everybody that walks by him salute him, which is kind of stupid. But anyway, so I am trying my hardest not to burst out laughing, and I'm biting my tongue. I'm literally biting my tongue. And he looks up at me, and he had to strain his neck because the little motherfucker was four feet, eight inches tall, and I was six foot tall. So imagine that. He's straining his neck backwards to look up at me, and I'm looking down at him, and I guess it looked like I had a real smirk on my face, because I, I did. And he starts yelling at me, you better not be laughing at me. And I said, no, sir, as I'm biting up my tongue, I'm going, no, sir, I'm not laughing at you. And, and I'm just gritting my teeth, sir. And I was actually biting my tongue as hard as hell. And in doing so, I caused my tongue to bleed and, and turn a little black and blue on one end. It really hurt like a... It hurt. So, at that, the captain said, You better not be. And I said, I'm not, sir. I'm just gritting my teeth. And he turns and he leaves. And it was all over in the blink of an eye. And I'm thinking to myself, This captain's a fucking psycho. This guy is an honest-to-God fucking psycho. Uh, and then somewhere in my past, I remember reading about Napoleon Bonaparte and how short he was and the Napoleon complex that people like Tuttle and Hyman Rickover had. In fact, they all had that complex, whether it be Ross Perot, Hyman Rickover, Jerry O. Tuttle. They seemed to have a Napoleon complex because they had to accommodate or compensate, rather, for their shortness. So, in the blink of an eye, he was gone, and I walked into the wardroom, and I said to my table buddies, I said, you're never going to believe what just happened outside the wardroom. And they said, what? And I said, I mentioned Tuttle, and they said, oh, say no more. And I said, no, no, no. And I told him about how he demanded that I salute him each and every time I saw him below decks, which you just don't do. And uh, they said, well, you know, that's par for Tuttle. He's kind of a fucking wackadoodle. But anyway, they said, you do know he calls himself. I said, yeah, I know. I've been here long enough now to know he calls himself Slough which stands for short, little, ugly fucker. And he definitely is a short, little, ugly fucker. And I said, you got that right. So anyway, that was just in my early days of my career aboard the USS John F. Kennedy, dealing with uh, at Captain Jerry O'Tuttle. Just some of the crazy not shenanigans that that idiot put people through. Now, the second and last episode, a uh, last thing I'm going to tell you about before we go to a new episode, is what I like to call the roundtable affair. Now, recently I wrote a book, a novel. It's about 600 and plus pages long. I think 685. Murder on Steel Beach, a Navy story. It's available on Amazon and Audible. It's about 17 hours long and audible, so if you have a long car ride, a vacation trip or something, if you have multiple commutes back and forth from work, uh, it would be a great audible. It's got a lot of interesting uh, add-ons to the audible story, and uh, you, you'll enjoy it. The audible is a little expensive, but it's a, it's a great listen to, and you don't have to read it. The novel 
comes available in large paperback, six by nine paperback, and or Kindle. Now, Kindle certainly is the cheapest, but the hardback, uh, excuse me, the paperback is very nice. It's very thick. It's kind of like a, it's kind of as thick as a Tom Clancy novel. And um, I think you'll enjoy it. But anyway, uh, one of the stories that I wrote about in the novel is called The Roundtable Affair. Now, it is a real story. And um, in this particular case, I'm going to use the real names of the characters that were on board the ship with me. And in the novel, I used fictional members. And it went something like this. So, all of a sudden, uh, we're in the shipyards. And it's very hot. And the commanding officer, he had the opportunity to go out and rent barracks for us, habitable barracks for the duty uh, people that had to stay on board the ship overnight in the yards. And what you need to understand about the Navy yards uh, and the commercial Navy yards is that there's very, very poor ventilation, lots of smoke and smell from uh, burning torches and welding going on. It's dusty, it's dirty, it's hot, there's no ventilation. In the summertime, the uh, wet bulb temperatures inside of a stateroom or a passageway on board ship and you even you still had to work in this uh, really untenable environment, even though it was almost inhuman. We would get up to 120, 125 degrees, almost the amount of heat that you would suffer on a daily basis if you worked in the engine rooms. And when I had to stay overnight on my duty duty night as the command duty officer for supply, uh, or even the command duty officer, or excuse me, uh, OOD for the ship. Wow, the spaces where I had to sleep, they got up to almost 100 degrees. You you literally had to either sleep naked in your rack uh, just to let the sweat drip off of you. But what most duty people did, and especially the poor bastards that didn't get to live ashore, live off the ship, because they didn't have an apartment or they didn't have a wife to go home to, those poor enlisted bastards, they had to sleep in temperatures of 115 degrees. It was absolutely inhuman. Now, I had never been up to the flight deck uh, after taps, taps at night, which is 2,200 hours. And um, so it was so hot, I, I, I just couldn't sleep. I, I went down to the supply office that had a fan and would sit in front of the fan and I couldn't sleep, and I just decided to get up and go walking around the ship late at night at like 11.30, 23.30 hours at night, and I went up to the flight deck, and the flight deck had all kinds of Connex boxes and other things that contractors were using to rehab the um, non-skid on the flight surface, and when I got up to the catwalks and then climbed up on top of the flight deck, I was literally astounded by what I saw in front of me. There were over 200 sailors that were on duty sleeping in the buff. That means naked. And, and a couple of them had underwear on, but most of the sailors, and they were all men, 
were completely butt naked sleeping on their mattresses. So the enlisted people would take the mattresses off of their racks, go up to the flight deck when they were ready to go to bed and go to sleep, and they would lay naked on the, their racks on the flight deck, whether it was a rainy night, a overcast night, or a starry night. I was just so flabbergasted by what I saw. So I went down to back to the supply office, and back then we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have digital phones. We had analog phones, the kind you use the rotary dialer on. And I looked up in the local phone book, the um, night desk editor of the Norfolk Ledger Star, which was a newspaper, and I dialed it. And I got a hold, and I got a hold of the night desk editor, and I called him, and I told him what I had just seen. I said, I'm a Navy lieutenant aboard the USS John F. Kennedy in the Portsmouth Naval Shipyards. It's 1130 at night, and you aren't going to believe the story that I'm just about to tell you. And I said, I told him about all the naked sailors sleeping on board the ship. And he thought, this is a prank. This has got to be a prank. But it wasn't. And I said, I'll prove to you. And he came back at me. He said, are you joking me? No ship in the Navy would treat their people that way. Such a horrible way to treat sailors and officers. And I said, but it's true. He goes, can I have your name? And I said, only if you promise me not to use my name anywhere in the story say that I'm a supply corps officer or anything else, Just you can just say a source that was aboard the ship and you can confirm it because he goes, well, how can I confirm this story? And I said, all you have to do is take your helicopter, you have a helicopter, or rent the helicopter that the local TV channel has and fly it with their searchlights over the John F. Kennedy at night. You'll see all the naked sailors on the flight deck. He, and the more he talked to me, the more he realized I wasn't shitting him. So they did just that. I said, but you need to hurry. I said, because it's really hot. And I said, and that's why everybody's on the flight deck sleeping naked up there on their mattresses is because the captain refused to rent spaces ashore so that the sailors on duty and those that had to live aboard the ship would have a decent air-conditioned space to live in. He goes, okay, we're going to do it. Now, I didn't have any way of knowing whether the night desk editor of the Norfolk Ledger Star was going to do that or not, and but they did, because, <laughs> no shit, the next morning I woke up, and I woke up at 6 a.m., and I went down to the wardroom to get a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden, uh, the command duty officer came in, and he was pissed off as hell. And as the, uh, at 5 a.m., the ship receives a copy of the Norfolk Ledger Star newspaper. And in it, on the very front page of the newspaper, was a photo of the John F. Kennedy and all the naked sailors with their private parts bleeped out, and a story that said something like this on the headlines, How could any Navy captain treat his sailors so inhumanely on the John F. Kennedy. And then the story launched in that somebody from the ship had called 
and they had believed his story and sent a helicopter and sure enough and here it was and went into how the captain didn't provide adequate berthing for the crew and was a cheapskate by not spending the ship's optar to do so and treated his sailors so poorly. Well, it also turns out that Captain Tuttle had been called at his home residence in Norfolk, where all the Admiral's Row was, to go over at 4 a.m. in the morning and see the Admiral in charge of Comnav Airland. And Comnav Airland sent the Admiral's car over to Captain Tuttle's house picked Captain Tuttle up at 4 a.m. in the morning. And you can imagine what kind of conversation went on there. Comnav Airland wants your ass over in his house immediately at 4 a.m. in the morning. And the captain probably only went to bed at midnight. So the captain went over there, got his ass chewed out by Comnav Airland, and then was just couldn't get back to sleep and was pissed off and came directly to the ship. And... The captain had his list of what he referred to as troublemakers or people that would are were not do-gooders. <laughs> and so the officer of the deck at the day, which was a lieutenant by the name of Bill Ainsworth and a friend of mine that I had gone to OCS with, came up to me and said, Bobby, oh, Bobby, the captain wants to see you in his in-port cabin at uh, 8 a.m., I don't know what it's about, but he says, have you seen the front pages? Oh, man, he is pissed. And um, I just had to keep my composure and not let on that I knew anything. I said, what are you talking about, Bill? He goes, have you, haven't you seen the front page of the Norfolk Ledger Star yet? And I said, no. He said, oh, all hell's breaking loose right now. So I said, really? <laughs> so... I kept my composure. I didn't laugh or anything. I just played along like I was totally ignorant about the whole thing, and I, and I continued to do that. So at uh, 8 a.m., I go up, and of course, I had to stop by the splice until my suppo that I was going up to see the captain, and I had no clue what this thing was about. And the suppo said, well, okay, well, just let me know what it's all about once you get back out of the captain's uh, in-port cabin. And so I went up, and I knocked on the door. I went, Captain, you uh, asked to see me? And he goes, I did. Get in here. Shut up and sit down at the round table, which is why I called it the round table affair. And uh, as I walked into the John F. Kennedy room, which was a table, a big, round, solid mahogany table that was donated by the Kennedy family as... uh, founders of our ship, there were eight other officers sitting at the round table, and I was evidently one of the last ones in besides, I believe it was Andre McRae. So I walked in, I see all these other officers around the round table, and uh, I went, hey guys, what are you all doing here? Uh, One of them was a guy by the name of Commander McCaskill, an honest-to-God Navy commander was sitting there, and I knew him. He was the safe safety officer of the ship. Also sitting around the round table was Dr. Schauberg, the lead dentist on the ship, uh, or as according to Admiral Tuttle, the tooth fairy. <laughs> and then there was Andre McRae, who which was the air traffic officer, ATO, 
uh, there was a Lieutenant J.G. got by the name of Bill Truitt. Um, I'm trying to think of who, there was a couple others, and I can't for the life of me remember their names, but they all were rather funny, and one of the guys stuttered quite a bit when he got really upset. So I sat down, and finally at about 8.30, we had been sitting there twiddling our thumbs, waiting on the captain to come out and tell us why he had called us all into his inport cabin early in the morning. And it was gonna, we all knew it was going to be a chew-out session, um, and I knew more than anybody else at the table what it was all about since I was the instigator. So I'm kind of just playing along with it because I couldn't let out because I would have been court-martialed if... <laughs> <laughs> I as God would have been court-martialed if, if Tuttle had found out. I would have gone to a special court-martial for this. But I was just eating it up and, and just laughing my ass off. So <laughs> Tuttle comes out of his typing cab, and he had a little tiny typing room. Back then they had IBM Selectric typewriters. They didn't have word processors at the time. And Tuttle comes out, and he's got the Norfolk Ledger Star all balled up kind of like a paper boy would as he's about to throw it into somebody's lawn. And he's got it behind his back. And Tuttle comes out and he starts slowly pacing around this big round table that we were all sitting at. And now you got to understand, this was a big table. This table was almost six to eight feet in diameter. And the captain marched around it and went to each one of us accusing everybody at the table separately that we had to be responsible for that article. He would hit you upside the head, he threw it in my chest and kind of dirtied my blouse and he said to me, he said, Nower, he said, you wrote that fucking article about me, didn't you? And I said, no sir. I said, I I'm kind of offended by that, Captain. Here I am, an officer wearing the same gold cloth braid that you do, uh, officer in the United States Navy. How dare you accuse me of doing something like that? I would never do something like that. And he said, yes, you did. You, you hate my guts, don't you? And I said, well, I may not like you personally, Captain, but I certainly don't hate you. And then he went on next to um, the ATO, Andre McRae, and did the, chastised him and did the same thing. And... Uh, the more he yelled at Andre McRae, the more Andre would stutter about the thing. And he'd say, hey, you didn't, you did this, you little prick, because you don't like the bad, in fact, I gave you a bad fitness report, blah, blah, blah. Then he went to Dr. Shawberg, and he uh, said the same kind of nasty things. He said, you little fucking tooth fairy, you wrote this article, you, because you hate my fucking guts, don't you? And Dr. Schauberg said, no, sir, I don't hate your guts. I dislike you, but I don't hate your guts. And I had nothing to do with that article. And he said, yes, you did. You hate the fact that I kept you on board and didn't let you go home and get poontang from your wife. And, um, and Dr. Schauberg got a little bit upset about that. And then he went on to Commander McCaskill, claimed the same thing. You hate my fucking guts, blah, blah, blah. He went around to every single person in the room and said, you hate my fucking guts. You're the one responsible for this. And every last one of us, all nine of us, um, denied having anything to do with that Norfolk Ledger Star uh, 
article. So finally, the captain gave up after haranguing us for almost an hour. So it was almost nine nine thirty by now, and uh, the captain said, "All right, well, if I can't prove which one of you little fuckers did this, he goes, just know this: one day." You're going to slip up and say something. One day you're going to tell somebody that you did it. Someday you're gonna, somebody's going to find out and they're going to report back to me. And when I find out whether I'm a rear admiral or a vice admiral or an admiral, I'm going to fucking castrate you when I find out. I am going to make you nothing. You will be nothing when I get through with whichever one of you little fuckers in here did this and caused this kind of pain for me. So we all were ordered to get the hell out of his in-port cabin. And on the way out, uh, Commander McCaskill was in front of me and I was trailing right behind him. And Commander McCaskill said something to the effect that, I hate that little fucker. I'd like to plant my boot up his ass. And I said, oh, Commander, I said, I whispered to him. I said, um, Captain just heard you say that. And he goes, I don't give a fuck what the Captain hears. I couldn't give a rat's ass. And they sort of looked at each other as we all sauntered out of his in-port cabin. But this is indicative of the way Jerry O. Tuttle operated during his entire Navy career. It doesn't matter which command you were in with Jerry O. Tuttle. You were either on his good side or his bad side. Jerry O. Tuttle was a lot like Donald Trump. He either liked you or he hated you. There was no in-between. And so it just so happened that I was one of those disliked officers by Jerry O. Tuttle. Um, there are many Navy Airedales and line officers and staff officers that can recount many, many, many similar stories to this about Jerry O. Tuttle. Um, and some people would like to believe that Jerry O. Tuttle was a decent person. Uh, and to the people that he liked, he may have been. But one of my best friends, Bud Toma, who was also on the ship with me, he said something to me to this effect. He recently wrote me and said, Hey, Bob, try not to think too much about anything related to Jerry O'Tuttle. He goes, God, every time I had to go before him for any reason, say it was Captain's Mast with one of my guys, Oh, he said, I always felt absolutely on guard, even for myself. I prefer not to think about that guy. I only try to think of good things when that period comes up in my thoughts, if you know what I mean. And what he's trying to say is he tries to put Jerry O'Tuttle. Well, I, we all have put Jerry O'Tuttle out of our minds. But, you know, when you're writing novels and you're talking about stories about the past, some of these things just have to be told so that they are never forgotten about. So I hope that those who served aboard the John F. Kennedy or in any other of Jerry O'Tuttle's commands, uh, they can comment if they feel free. I recently had a uh, Navy captain uh, bitch me out on LinkedIn because I had said something similar to this, that Jerry O'Tuttle was a horse's ass and treated everybody poorly. And he said to me, well, you know, he goes, Jerry O'Tuttle was a wonderful man. He was so kind and loving. 
and I have nothing but good things to say about him. How dare you say the things that you say about Jerry O'Tuttle now departed? And yeah, Jerry O'Tuttle's dead now. Um, and I wrote back, and I and I said, uh, so why why do you love him so much? Why do you think he's such a good guy? And he says, he would always write me uh, short emails and letters telling me to hang tight and be fast because my wife was dying of cancer. And he even sent me flowers to her funeral, blah, blah, blah. And I wrote him back, and I said, well, you know, that's really nice that he did that for you. But he did a lot of bad things to a lot of nice people in his career. And so, as far as I'm concerned, he's still a little motherfucker. But uh, uh, you can think all the nice things that you want to about him. And he, he was like, you need to take that back. And I said, no, I'm not going to take anything back because the truth is the truth. And I said, I don't take the truth back. I said, if it wasn't true, I would take it back. But I'm not going to take the truth back, uh, and it's too bad that you feel he was such a wonderful person. I said, but then you're entitled to your own thoughts. And so anyway, that is my thought for the day in this episode number six, and soon we will be moving on to another couple stories about Jerry O'Tuttle and the John F. Kennedy in episode number seven. So today, Bob out.